0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, and uh, we've got some work to do today. I will get to it in a moment, what you need to know. I got a good response, by the way, from the Freedom 20. The Freedom 20 is the 20 members of the U.S. House, Republicans who stood up last week to help get uh, more changes. Also, on the thank you card, I sent out a way to call the uh, 20 of them, the 20 Freedom uh Fighters. I'll also put the phone number for Speaker uh, McCarthy because he's living up to what he said he would do. So that's good. It's good stuff. Got a good response from that. uh In a few moments, we got a couple of interviews. One, I finally got together this interview with Thomas Baker, retired FBI agent, great guy. The interview got—I recorded it ahead of time. It got all messed up. I had to clean it up, so it's there. We'll also talk with Todd Benzman and to get his update from the border. He was down there. You probably have seen the images. The infrared images of the border of uh, north of two, well, north of more than 2000 illegal migrants coming across the border. Powerful images. It's caught the attention of a lot of people. Uh, We'll talk with Todd Bensman. All right. Before we get to that, what you need to know, what you need to know today is this. There is a man, a friend of mine named Bruce Fine. He's a very accomplished uh, lawyer, a constitutional lawyer uh, and a very interesting guy. He's also a commentator uh, on various um uh, TV stations, radio stations. He, he writes, I think he's got a piece that he told me will come up, uh, come out on the hill. So I'm stealing from him as I tell you what you need to know today. And that is this. If you look at the situation with the documents, uh, that have been found in at least two and maybe three locations, there were some documents of Joe Biden, uh, that were classified that were found at the Biden, uh, the Penn Biden Center. The office that was in Washington, D.C., kind of actually around the corner from Bruce Fine, he was mentioning that. So on Pennsylvania Avenue, down closer to the Capitol, uh, Joe Biden had an office after he was vice president, before he took office as president. It was at the Penn Biden University of Pennsylvania, Penn Biden Center. um, And those documents were found there. They also found some documents in the garage out in Wilmington next to the Corvette, Joe Biden's Corvette. So there's at least two, and there may be a third set of papers. I'm not sure if they were in the same locations, but it's now sort of a pattern of classified documents that are improperly maintained in the wrong place. And what Bruce Fine offered was more clarity on what the statute is and what the law is about improperly uh housing, taking uh, classified documents. And what he pointed out was largely... It is about the intent of the person. So, it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not so much that if you made a mistake and put these documents in a box and they went there, it's not one of these, uh, sort of, uh, de facto, if the documents offsite, you're automatically guilty. It's the intent of Biden. It's even the intent of, uh, of Trump on his documents. And here's what, um, here's what Bruce Fine has called for. And I think this is pretty powerful. He, Bruce Fine was in the, um, in the, uh, I think in the Senate. Uh, during the 80s as a young lawyer when Ronald Reagan was president. And when the Iran-Contra uh situation happened, Ronald Reagan waived all executive privilege. He waived all the rules that would allow him to dodge accountability. He waived even his um Fifth Amendment protections, I think, the way Bruce described it. Basically, Reagan said, I know I didn't do anything wrong. I'm the president of the United States. We can't afford to have the president hamstrung like this. Therefore, I waive everything. Let's get to the bottom of it. And it was ugly. There were pieces that were ugly that made it look, you know, like some of these uh, men and women in Iran Contra were out, you know, further than anybody knew. Probably true. They were doing things that nobody uh, really approved. Probably true. But Reagan was not complicit. And that was clear pretty quick. And he was able to continue his presidency. Bruce Fine's point is that in this context, Joe Biden needs to get ahead of this and needs to end it fast by instead of allowing a special counsel to drag on for years to go ahead and say, I'll go under oath. I'll, I'll do a, a deposition. I'll testify. I will say what happened. We'll get past this. And if he can't, we're in for, you know, the business as usual. Well, here's what you need to know. Bruce Fine's a really good lawyer. I think he told me that I think he told me that Dershowitz was his professor at Harvard Law School. I think that might be right. If not, he's that kind of he's that kind of mind. He's that kind of lawyer. And so he's right on his judgment. The question is whether he, he can be right on the politics. And I don't think at this point that you have a guy, Joe Biden, who is 80 years old, who for 45 years, literally 45, almost 46 years, has been one of the leaders of the most powerful government in history. He was a Senator for decades. He was vice president for eight years. He's been president for two and a half years. He, he is not used to having to do what he wants, what, what anyone else wants him to do. He has not had to do that. He doesn't, he is not in that position where he has to accede to anyone else's judgment. It's just not what he does. And, and therefore I don't think you're going to see any difference in 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 what the approach is uh, to what he's done before, which is to say, oh, no, it's nothing to see here. He got asked about the Corvette uh, and the documents. He said, well, the Corvette's under lock and key. That's not the point. That's not the point at all. It's arrogance. But is he going to pull a Reagan? No way. No way. Bruce Fine might be right that Ronald Reagan, that's what he did and that's what should happen. And he might be right that that's the best way to go forward. But I'll tell you, it's a little bit like what Joe Biden is doing right now with his presidency. Joe Biden believes that he was elected president because he's so talented and he's so great and he's well timed and et cetera, et cetera. He's probably partly right. But there's a lot of people that helped him get there that manage the system to get him there that I think are turning on him that are saying, hey, it's time to move on. And I think Joe Biden's like, no, 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 I'm the president. I mean, I've, look, I've met people that end up as an executive. I knew governor of Missouri well. I worked for him as chief of staff. I knew some of these presidents. There's a point where some of the folks that are sort of in power, not just sort of, but that are in power, they, they come to understand their own uniqueness, their own importance in a way that it's very hard for other people to understand. If you're not, if you haven't observed that up close, it's just very hard to understand what I'm saying. And so I don't think Joe Biden is able, is capable of doing something other than saying, I'm Joe Biden, I'm the president. I don't care if you think it's weird or strange or corrupt that tens of millions of dollars went from the communist Chinese regime to the University of Pennsylvania in the months and years after I signed on. I don't think it's, I think you are just, you, you, you don't understand because I'm Joe Biden. I don't have to worry. These documents, I didn't do anything wrong. I'm Joe Biden. Hey, gotta get out of here. Get out of here. That's how he acts. And that's how he's done it for decades. And let's be honest, he's succeeded. Guys that you would think would, you know, as I as, uh, asked Barack Obama about it. He used to say, you know, if you want to see something really messed up, ask Joe Biden to do it. And so if you're Joe Biden, you're saying, hey, you guys judge me all you want. I keep succeeding and I'm not listening to you. And so we're headed into a situation where. The special council will be digging into this and, you know, and, and without the participation of this president, we're not going to get, it's not going to get resolution forever, forever. And I believe that this is the most likely way that Joe Biden ends up not running for president. This will be a big part of the excuse, because as I said before, you can you can compare all you want what Trump and Biden did, except one aspect of it that is just shouldn't lose focus. Trump was allowed to declassify anything by his own power. Biden had none of that power. So Trump may have done it wrong. He may have actually, you know, not classified it the best way or been clear enough or didn't write it down, but that's he had the power to do it. If he didn't do it, that's a different argument that that gets a lot of the intent part of it out because he could say my intent or my my thing was to declassify Joe Biden can't do that. He just was taking what he wanted when he wanted to and he wasn't going to care what you said or what anyone else said or anyone what the law said. And think about it. In boxes in the garage next to the Corvette, the vice president of the United States, on one level, it's very humanizing, right? It's, it's like, oh, it's a normal guy. I got some stuff from my, when I practice law at a big law firm, I got some boxes still that they're, they're bouncing around and sometimes they end up in the garage, sometimes they end up in the basement. So it's a little bit like that. I mean, it's very humanizing. But remember the sanctimony of, of, of Biden over Trump's Mar-a-Lago, the, Trump's, uh, Trump's home was raided 91 days before the fall election, nine days before the fall election. They found out that Joe Biden had documents. No drama there. Nothing happened there. Terrible, terrible injustice. Again, Bruce Fine said this in an interview. The equal application of justice. You know, Sandy Berger, a number of other senior officials over the last few years have been uh, David Petraeus. They violated the classifications laws and they paid a heavy price pleading guilty to crimes. And Joe Biden thinks he gets to get away with it. Again, not good. Not good for the country. Uh, More of the same, in my opinion. That's what you need to know. All right, we'll we'll come back and we will, as I mentioned, we'll talk with uh, Thomas. We'll get that Thomas Baker interview, and then I'll talk with uh, with uh, um, Todd Bensman. Be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Uh, you, my listeners know, sir, that I love, uh, books. And so I was really excited. I got, uh, forwarded a, a new book to read and I, Dug into it. I, I this one. The world's changed so much. You used to have to wait, get a copy in the mail. Now you get a PDF, and they promise you swear on your, you know, your mother's life that you'll never pass it on anyone. So you, again, you can't do that. You get in trouble. But uh, I, I got this great book, and I printed out the first two chapters, and then I went back and I looked at the last chapter. It's called "The Fall of the FBI: How a Once Great Agency Became a Threat to Democracy." Thomas J. Uh, Baker, uh, Bombardier Press, uh, a great press that does a lot of good things. It's um, part of post hill and a uh, big fan of them so uh welcome sir how are you welcome to the program how are things very good ed glad to be with you well thank you and you know one of the, the tags when I, I got sent this information from one of the post hill folks was which i thought is a great thing to say is not only were you for 33 plus years an fbi agent investigating but uh managing and a lot of us as we've watched what's happened uh with this sort of Lack of confidence in the FBI that so many Americans feel. We just feel like there's been too many things have gone wrong, and um, and so managing it it, it jumped out to me. Um, How do you? I know you wrote this book about the subject, about uh, what's happened and what you saw and what you see. um, But you put your whole life into it. I mean, I I remember growing up, but my we had family friends that were you know FBI and and Secret Service, and there's such pride in that service. When you see what's gone on, it must sort of be. It, it must, in one level, you say, "Well, we did it. Di- we did it different back then. We did it sort of right." And and what's happening now? But on another level, you must be sort of torn apart. It, yes, it's
2: very sad. It's sad personally, and but it's also sad for our country. Uh, there's something been lost. I hope, and it's one of the reasons that I wrote the book and I've done so much talking about this and op eds. I hope we can win some of it back and and bring it back around, but. There's something definitely that has been lost.
1: The uh, in your in the introduction, um, the first sentence you have that that, uh, that I underline: Americans have lost faith in the FBI and an institution they once regarded as the world's greatest law enforcement agency. When you were in the FBI, um, I let me preface it. I told someone once, when I ran the election board in St. Louis, and the job was twofold. One, you had to actually um, do the job well. It was hard to do, but you also had to make people publicly believe in you, because if they didn't think it worked, then they, they wouldn't let you do your job. If the FBI's really lost the faith of the Americans, it's, it's impossible to do their job, isn't it?
2: Well, that's a good point, and that's, a, that's an additional problem on a practical level that's happened. In a democracy uh, such as ours, uh, I'm, and of course, the United States is the outstanding uh, example of a democracy in the sense that I'm talking about, right. police, law enforcement absolutely depends on the cooperation of the people. Uh, th- there's only so much coercion can be used in a democracy. So you're, you're depending on the cooperation of the American people. And in the past, the FBI certainly had always gotten a tremendous degree of cooperation from the American people. Uh, but that's that's perhaps, well, I think we're losing that cooperation, we're losing that support, uh, and rightly so. And also, uh, the whole concept, and this is a, a very specific problem that's come really to the fore in the last month or two, is the the public-private partnership of the FBI with so many entities in our society has has now turned into a perversion, uh, where before th- there were a lot of initiatives, and I personally worked on several of them uh, to involve the FBI with different S- people in the community. Uh, we did this in drug prevention programs, uh, in, in in other programs like that, but now with the 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 collaboration that existed and has come forward in the Twitter accounts, uh, the so-called Twitter files, is a perversion, and the explanation is given: "Well, this is just typical or continuing given by the FBI uh, headquarters. This is just the typical traditional public-private partnership." Oh no, it's not. This is something terrible. This is something bad.
1: It's um. It is the uh. The, they, you know, I got to part one of the book and it says the good sometimes it is sometimes it is like the movies. And I I, I started to read that and and I got the scene um, about when you were really young and you, before you got into the uh, into law enforcement. I don't know if it was the NYPD or or maybe it was uh, maybe it was a, a NYPD uh, uh, detective or somebody that you met that was real cynical and all. Um, but but I, I guess what I what is a funny thing to do is we, we, we can't Americans can't. Give up on the um, we we believe that the good guys are the good guys and it is good. It doesn't. In other words, in 1940 or 1920 or 1900, there would have been cops or someone who wasn't a nice guy who did something wrong. In other words, we're always we've always been human. Uh, The problem is, I don't know if if part of the culture, media and the left wants us to part of I I say distrust and verify. I I tell people forget trust and verify, distrust and verify. But you still got to verify. It's a two part thing. You got to still move ahead. I think the left wants us to distrust and walk away. And and the part of the dynamic right now is people are are sort of Saying, well, I can't trust anything, especially law enforcement. Therefore, I'm just sort of checking out, and I feel like that part of it is really lost. And and what I and and yet we watch the shows at night and we watch Blue Bloods and others, and we want to believe in heroes, right? It's a funny thing. You you say you hate your politicians, your elected officials. We we all want term limits, except we kind of like our guy and we never vote him out. I I, I guess what I, what I'm saying is you do want to celebrate the 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 goodness. Even as you say the thing is broke uh, uh, parts of it are broken
2: well that uh, ed uh, that's a great point that's exactly why I wrote the book the way I did yeah, exactly uh, right and a lot of uh, I call it one of the subtitles is the good, the bad, and the ugly yeah and and uh, I wanted to lay out the good, how it was uh, the the adventures uh and, and a lot of them that you know are quite personal, as you'll see in there yep. but also I felt some of these historical cases that I was part of or on the fringe of, I wanted to tell certain facts that uh, they're not secret, but they're not generally well known. I'm talking about, you know, major things that most of the public would know something about, like the attempted assassination of president Reagan or the, the major airline catastrophes that have happened, TWA 800, Pan Am 103, others like that. So I wanted to tell the good, uh, and, and people would enjoy those adventures. But the other part of the good was how we were trained, how we, we as FBI agents, as new FBI agents were formed. And there was a tremendous emphasis on the constitution, uh, particularly the bill of rights, the fourth, fifth and sixth amendments. And we were taught that they weren't obstacles to be overcome, that there was something we should embrace uh, and that we were the guarantors of the civil rights, the, the first 10 amendments to the people of the country. And, and and I give examples of that as we go along in that first third of the book. Yeah. And it's, it's just so different from the stuff that has come to light in the Russian collusion narrative, and now in the Twitter cases, where it seems that the FBI has joined in with big tech uh, and in, with some politicians in actually working against the first amendment certainly the right of free speech
1: it's um it's uh and again um when you that's that's why i liked how you set it up by the way i I didn't say it very well but what i was saying was it started out with uh uh, positive stories and and sort of uh heroic stories and all the rest and uh, and i think that's we sort of need our heroes we can't we can't get rid of all of our heroes um uh you mentioned the training um Everybody I know, uh, uh, it's a human condition, right? I mean, I, I tell people, when I went to law school, it was harder. My wife, who's a doctor, she'll say, oh, when we went through med school, you know, the residency was harder. Everybody, somehow we all do that, right? And here we are. Uh, but, you, you know, you, you talked about the training or the, the expectation. Um, how, how dramatically has that changed for the FBI? I mean, when you look back and say, um, and, and, and here's a different way to ask the same question. I remember when Tom Clancy wrote The Hunt for Red October. Years later I was told that Clancy made all a lot of the guys including Jack Ryan if he he used to play poker with some guys they were all Jesuit uh, educated because in the FBI at the time there was all these uh, uh Catholics because they knew ethics and morality. They were raised and they knew, frankly, patriarchy, They, you know, the, the hierarchy. They knew someone's going to tell you what to do and you might not like it, but you're going to do it. And, uh, and over time, you might be able to draw a parallel that, you know, the Catholic Church has had a, a series of exoduses from its uh, pews and its churches and people not sort of engaging and being not that way. And the FBI doesn't have that same uh, mindset. I mean, at this point, is the FBI... Um, are they failing in the training or is the raw material that's going into it, into the FBI, already sort of malformed and you can't train it up the way you'd want? Well, that's a
2: profound question. And I I, I have a take and a, a an explanation I put forward in the book. But the the larger question which you're asking is, has our society as a whole deteriorated, has our culture deteriorated and and that's that's always in the back of my mind that we're drawing from a a population that maybe doesn't have the same values, the same commitment,
1: Hey listen I just we had we were recording that uh with Thomas Baker the author and um so it 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 unfortunately it disconnected and so here's what I want to promise you that's a great conversation Thomas Baker is the author uh we will uh, put up on social media uh links to his book and I'm going to have him back on because uh it is really a a helpful book he gets into uh the aspects of what's happening uh in the FBI in a way that is very different than you'd expect. I mean, you know, the, uh, obviously the, um, the book is the fall of the FBI, how a once great agency became a threat to democracy. So he's got a perspective the uh, as a 33 year veteran. So sorry about that disconnection. It was a great conversation, but we'll continue it. Um, so i uh, check out on social media, Thomas J Baker's book, uh, which is the fall of the FBI, how a once great agency became a threat to democracy um, available. It's a post Hill press uh, special as always these guys are doing such great books um, and uh, we will uh, i'll put it up on social media so you can get it all available there um it's uh it's very good and we'll have him back i'll have thomas baker back on uh to cover that all right. Uh, be right back ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to check in with Todd Bensman. It's been a week or so, and that seems way too long with Todd, because who knows what's happened. Uh, certainly the uh, the situation down on the border uh, is getting a little bit more attention, but still not quite like what you'd expect if you know the details. Uh, Todd Bensman, of course, is a senior national security fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. He's got a piece that he posted a day or so ago, the Mexican... Backstory to drone images of thousands crossing the Rio Grande. Uh, Welcome back, Todd. How are you?
3: doing great thanks for having me appreciate well, it
1: yeah good to have you and i should highlight again overrun is his new newest book uh post hill press and uh, go to Toddbensman.com, Toddbensman.com see his book overrun how joe biden unleashed the greatest border crisis in u.s history okay todd so what so walk us through the backstory on these drone images you know you you, 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 you and i've talked for months and months what would catch the uh, imagination of the american people um you know the kate steinley murder of six or seven years ago certainly captured the imagination these images really did i know fox news covered it um these images uh, uh what is it uh ultra uh violet or however that phrasing is and also infrared the infrared. infrared sorry thank you yeah so w- walk us through what's going on here and what what you know what you're reporting is uh showing
3: Sure. Well, the, first of all, those Fox News uh, drone images were, I believe, very influential yeah. because they showed groups as big as twenty five hundred coming over at a in a single night. And it really, you know, just lit, I think, the U.S. of the imagination of people, you know, see, wow, this is really Unusual, and I think maybe this is what led to Joe Biden finally going down to the border. Yeah. So, but there's this uh, that you know we, we see these images, but nobody has really reported about like what was happening on the Mexican side to enable so such vast groups to be able to cross. So I was over there uh, on the other side to investigate that and came back with the piece that you see out today at CIS.org. And the story over there is, to me, far more disturbing than the images that you see. And the bottom line is that the Kahwila State Police, and I mean the director of the state police, the top guy and the uh, commander of an elite SWAT team uh, are running all of that smuggling. They are organizing the transport, housing, shelter, uh, and and um, uh, financial profiteering from these thousands and thousands of people coming through across from Eagle Pass in two, mainly two small towns, El uh, Moral and El Centinale, these two small towns where I went and visited, interviewed, uh, you know, Mexican immigration officers and uh, people who can't be identified Uh, for security reasons who explained the whole operation to me uh, that the state police is the cartel there and they are the ones, the only ones that possibly could have uh, organized minivan caravans of minivans filled with these people uh, right through Roadblocks, state police roadblocks. Nobody could have done it except for the state police. Uh, earning about four hundred dollars a head, so you know, a group of two thousand would be eight hundred grand in a night. Hmm. And they were doing this every night. Huge money. They they have never seen numbers like this coming through that area, Piedras Negras to Eagle Pass. Uh, moving them through at uh, two between two a.m. and four a.m. on these minivans, and they're the police. They're all the police.
1: Uh, so, so, um, so we're talking with Todd Benzman again. Toddbenzman dot com, and also over CIS dot org, where he writes. Um, it, it got a lot of attention about a week ago when El Chapo's son, who's uh, Ovidio Guzman, uh, was arrested and um and it looked like it was a cra- a crackdown on you know uh the lawlessness or the corruption or something but you know in retrospect as you point out it's is uh, is this just um is this just uh, one side's got control of the government? I mean, one cartel's got control of the government. Is it? Is any of it? Was that just for show? Is uh, you know, I mean, what? As you point out, and your reporting shows, and the images show, uh, someone is allowing this to happen. If the if the if you're right and it's the state police that are actually doing it, um, then that explains it. But even if it's not the state police that are doing it, they're allowing it to happen. So someone's you know paying them off to look the other way or go the other way or whatever. But what what's going on here? I mean, take get a lot. Of attention, and El Chapo's son was captured.
3: Well, I'm not sure about that particular situation, Mike. Okay. I suspect that the uh, capture of the Chapito, I guess is what they call those sons, the okay. Chapitos, uh-huh. had more to do with the arrival of Joe Biden for the conference oh. last week as a show of, hey, look, we're tough. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens.
1: Uh, We're talking with Todd Bensman and he's got a little bit. He's down uh, near the border down uh, in Texas where where he works out. Yeah, you you cut out for – What we do know is – Go ahead. Keep going, please. Keep going.
3: We do – Very, very systemic in all levels of Mexican police – federal and state and local and it really shows itself by these drone videos that's that was orchestrated by a state police force that's run by and is run by the top commander of it who is is implicated repeatedly in mexican media for years as running since at least 2012 all of the drug trafficking operations in the del rio sector are across from the del rio sector and they're the ones that are behind this drone video and i interviewed at length a mexican a uniformed mexican immigration officer federal uh level and i right. said why don't you go in why don't you guys go in there and stop this it's happening right in front of you this is your sector and he said well uh, at least two or three times when I happened to find myself in and around the minivans, guys with guns came out and pointed them at me and ordered me out of my car and said, what are you doing over here? Get way." So it's just through intimidation where one police agency threatens another police agency get out of our way. And uh- the federal guardsmen uh, don't they don't want to get involved either. So in that particular sector, the state police, with all their weapons and firearms and training, are able to, to intimidate everybody else into just getting out of the way of this thing that's making so much money they may be paying them off too.
1: Uh, we're talking with Todd Benzman. Todd, to to clarify something, the 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 video that was obtained that has the infrared and the images were so captivating. Um, that's it runs on it, it ran on Fox News. It, it, is it a Fox? Did Fox News buy it from somebody, or did they get it created themselves? I mean, I I'm, I'm not really understanding no. for sure.
3: No, that's Bill Mnuchin, who is their correspondent. Yep, I've met Bill. I've had dinner with him on the border with his whole crew. Right, they have a they have a drone crew okay. that just goes down there and flies that drone overhead, but. They don't go to the Mexican side uh, for liability reasons, I guess. Yeah. And so those massive numbers of people, historic, I mean, nobody's ever seen thousands of people come over in a big group like that, uh, caught like that on drone. That's very unusual, but they nobody bothered to go to the other side to see how it all got organized and how that was even possible to do in, in such huge numbers in front of the police and with all the security forces over there. And this story of mine today explains the backstory, all that was, you know, how that was able to happen. It could only have happened at such scale with the government's involvement.
1: Yeah, it is. Um, it's extraordinary. All right, uh, Todd, I, I'm going to let you go. Todd Benzman again. Todd dot is his website, his newest book, Overrun How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History, Post Hill Press uh, coming out um, just in a few weeks uh, next month. So thanks for the time, Todd. Be careful out there. Thank you. All right, we'll take a break. Everybody, come back and I'll put up on social media this piece that he has uh, written that Todd published just uh, I don't know the last uh, twelve or fifteen hours, and uh, we'll get that up there so you can see it. Explaining the backstory, I hope, I hope I join Todd. I hope in, in, in that this these images of the uh, of the crossing has sort of captured the imagination and will continue to get people to focus on it. We'll see. I mean, uh, the the shiny object of more on uh, you know uh, classified documents next to the Corvette seems to. some Sometimes uh uh too often uh to eclipse uh the real issues that we should be facing in this country. So okay, we'll we'll be right back. bensman.com again and we'll be back Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis schlafly Report, a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of Phyllis
1: schlafly Now the president of Phyllis schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. If you're a Republican prosecuted before a jury in Democrat-dominated Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia you're almost certainly going to be convicted. But if you're a Democrat, say a Democrat lobbyist, prosecuted there, you'll probably be acquitted. There's nothing fair about this process, and it needs to be held accountable. Yet even Republican appointees to the appellate courts, some of whom previously served as federal prosecutors, seem unwilling to rein in the Department of Justice's abuse of power. During oral arguments before the 11th Circuit in Atlanta, a hostile panel of appellate judges seemed indifferent to the misuse of the Department of Justice by President Biden against his own political rival, Donald Trump. Do you think it's rare for a target of a warrant to think it's overreaching? Was one of the many naive questions by the 11th Circuit panel that implied it will let the DOJ do whatever it wants to Biden's political rival. One panelist demanded that Trump prove that the seizure of 2,900 mostly personal items from his home exhibited a, quote, callous disregard for his rights. Callous disregard. This is an undefined and inapplicable phrase. If the courts won't rein in the DOJ, who will? The DOJ does not police our streets, protect our homes, respond to 911 calls, or safeguard against the daily crime that has risen to a pandemic level. If the whopping budget that the U.S. House provides to the Department of Justice were redistributed to local police departments, it would help compensate for their dramatic loss of officers under the Defund the Police movement. Over the past few years. After all, the House controls the purse strings as the founders wanted, because only the House is elected every two years by we the people. By electing a Republican House, the people voted against the rogue DOJ. No one should want to provide taxpayer funding to a Department of Political Retribution. Yet that's exactly what our Department of Justice has become. The only reasonable reaction is for the Republican House to withhold funding from the DOJ until they start living up to their name. The DOJ's job should be to seek justice, and the House of Representatives' job is to provide oversight for taxpayer dollars.
0: This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the best way to rekindle the spirit of Phyllis Schlafly and the grassroots movement she energized? In this digital age, patriots and pro-family Americans can find insight and inspiration on our website, phyllisschlafly.com. Then, share your own heart and mind on social media. So join us at phyllisschlafly.com and every weekday for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, wrapping things up as we head into the weekend, uh, let me um, highlight for you one aspect. We're going next week is the um, Pro-Life March. About a week from now in Washington, D.C., there's a Pro-Life March. A lot of local uh, places, local jurisdictions will have marches on either Friday, uh, the uh, 20th, uh, sometimes on Saturday, the 21st, or even Sunday, the 22nd of January, which is the anniversary of the now, uh, now, um, swept away Roe v. Wade. Uh, but one of the aspects of the, uh, question of abortion as it returns to the states, meaning the U.S. Supreme Court Dobbs decision basically says there is no intrinsic constitutional right, no, uh, right in the Constitution of privacy that extends to abortion Uh Roe v. Wade Doe v. Bolton was used to basically say you can't limit abortion in the states because there's a federal constitutional protection that's gone which means it kind of returns to the states it does not mean abortion is banned um, at, at the national level at the federal level it could be by the way they could pass a law um, but it goes to the states and so it's back to the states well over the last five or ten years there have been a series of states that have addressed the question of abortion legislatively. You think California being uh, permissive for abortion. You think Texas uh, having clinic regulations and limiting abortion. Um, but also there have been legal cases that have challenged on the state constitution and sought state constitutional uh, protections. Uh, so the state Supreme court finding in the constitution of a state protections in iowa four or five years ago the liberal majority of the court decided found that there was a right to privacy in the iowa supreme uh, iowa constitution they in my opinion they made it up just like roe v wade and then it was later uh changed and reversed in michigan there was a statewide ban on abortion passed in the 1930s and in the fall uh there was a um just a few months ago there was a um a a protection for abortion passed in the constitution. That one didn't go to the courts yet. Although the courts um, in Michigan, a liberal Supreme court at the state level had, um, had stayed the ban on abortion from the thirties, but that was overridden by this uh, ballot initiative. Well, in South Carolina, just a few days ago, the, the South Carolina Supreme court has ruled that its constitution has a protection for abortion. Now, I think they're making this up, but they're making it up in the same kind of way that Roe v. Wade and Doe v. Bolton was. So it was a three to two vote of the South Carolina Supreme Court, and they struck down uh, the state level ban on abortion, a six week ban, maintaining that there's privacy rights in the state constitution. My point here is we're going to have these challenges at the state court level. It's going to be ongoing for a long time. Uh, that's where the battle is. All right, got to run, though. I'm out of time. Thank you to Noah Dingley, a uh, great producer. Thank you to Ryan Hyde for associate producing, and you for listening. Have a great, week. great weekend, everybody. Be back next week. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you. This is the
0: Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego.